Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. All right. Welcome to... Episode 216, if I'm not mistaken, of the Long Toss here on the Walk Off. Uh, I am Adam Mack. Bit of a thinner roundtable discussion today. Uh, We had, I think, five or six scheduled here, but as you could tell, so far it's just me. Um... I know that I had a few people back out last minute, um, or not last minute, but earlier in the day, but I thought I still had two people joining me, um, up until, well, the fact that they still haven't joined and I haven't heard from them. So we'll see. It might just be me today, but, uh, we'll have some fun here on, uh, the old YouTube See, there's about 20 of you in the live chat, so I guess get your questions in. Um, I'll do the rundown of the things we were going to discuss today, and uh, if that interests you, stick around, and uh, I'll just give my rambling thoughts like a like a total idiot here. I'm uh, going to have a hard time filling two hours today, I'll tell you that for free. Um... I'll keep checking in on the the old Zoom room meeting meeting uh, area, see if anybody shows up. But in the meantime, let's get into it. So Blue Jays swept the Red Sox. We needed it. We needed it. Uh, Davis Schneider, friend of the show, making his MLB debut. Uh just kind of an insane first three days to start his career. So that's pretty cool. Um, I'm not seeing, hold on. I'm not seeing anything in the live chat. So, okay, here we go. Now we're getting some messages in in the live chat. I'm wondering if I'm having glitches on my end. I think we're good to go. Uh, Real Nighthawk here says, let's go solo, Adam. Uh, The expectations have never been lower. So this is great. Uh, Jay, Michelle, nice to see everybody here. Um, all right, let's get into it. Oh, you know what? Speak of the devil, Jen, baseball, Jen, cutting it right under the wire, uh, three fifty eight, and she's here. So I'm going to let her in and then let's, uh, let's get into it. All right, there she is. Jen. Am I the only one? You're the only one. I started three minutes ago because you weren't here and I hadn't heard from you through Scott. So I wasn't sure if if, uh, this was happening. Anyways, you're on time. So you've done nothing wrong. Uh, You're here right in the nick of time. So anyways, we got uh, you and me. We're going to carry the next two hours or or maybe 60 minutes. We'll see how far we get. All right. Um, So the show is well underway. We've done the... uh, the introductions of myself, 
Uh, I'll just run down the topics quickly, and then we'll we'll get right to it. So, uh, Davis Schneider made his MLB debut. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Jays Red Sox series recap. Uh, we'll talk the Don Mattingly quote, uh, which I've, if you haven't heard it by now, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, we have a roster crunch upcoming, so we'll get to that. Uh, Romano set to return. Chad Green might be uh, making his Blue Jays debut soon. Bo Bichette, I think his time on the IL is set to expire Thursday. I'll have to double-check that. Uh, we'll talk Yusei Kikuchi. Is he in your playoff rotation? And then uh, for fun, we'll touch on the brawl with uh, Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson. Okay, so let's start with the the Red Sox Jays series, Jen. Much needed sweep. I was not expecting that. Neither was I. Uh, the way we've played Boston all year has not given me any indication that we were going to go in and, and and take all three. So happy to see uh, we got all three. The bats came alive, which was good. Uh, what are your thoughts just generally on this series? What are your takeaways? Well, first of all, they kind of got the monkey off their back by beating Boston, right? Um, you know, and that had been part of the narrative as far as them being unable to beat teams in the AL East. They had such a poor record against both both Boston and, and uh, Baltimore. And, you know, losing three out of four to Baltimore in Toronto really made it look like they were going to go into the weekend and possibly finish the weekend out of a, out of a wild card spot, right? Like that's really how it was, it was setting up. Yeah. And so for them to walk into Fenway and take all three, which like I said, you know, theoretically they should be able to do, but they should have been beating them in other games this, this season as well. So mm-hmm. Um, to see them do that and to see them do it like with authority, you know, um, with absolute authority was just really great. Now let's find out because we've gotten, you know, really excited about this team multiple times during the season when we thought maybe they've turned it around and this is going to be, you know, kick off some, you know, wild run that they're going to go on. Um, so we'll see how this actually, whether or not there is such a thing as momentum at any point here. Um, but I really wasn't expecting them to go in there and sweep Boston. And so I think that that just really, um, you know, must just boost everybody's confidence in that clubhouse. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels that way. Um, if We look back even like three days ago at the standings. Boston was nipping at our heels for a wild card spot. Uh, they were three games back. Now they're six games back. The Yankees have have surpassed the the Red Sox. I know there's a a long stretch here. What are we? Uh, seven, eight weeks away from playoffs starting. But I feel confident saying that this. At least a playoff spot is the Blue Jays to lose at this point, right? We're, I think so. We've got to be a front runner for one of these wild card spots. Absolutely. And um, I didn't feel that way two weeks ago. Yeah, no, I, and and that has been the story of the season, right? It has very much, you know, fluctuated in terms of 
our confidence level in this team's ability to actually secure that wild card spot. There have been times when they've looked absolutely horrendous just from the eye test. I know, I know certain numbers suggest that they've actually been pretty decent all season uh, with the exception of runners in scoring position. Um, But you've never, I don't think fans at any point have looked at this team, you know, over the course of, multiple weeks and thought oh this team's got it all going on right everything is clicking mm-hmm. you know they're the team to beat in every single series um so but yes i do think you know they are the better team they should be the better team than than some of these other teams that are quote unquote in the mix um and i would i would be shocked at this point if they actually somehow fell out of a a wild card spot were you surprised at all by Alec Manoa's performance in game one of this series? Six and two thirds innings. Is- I don't think I was surprised, but again, it wasn't necessarily expected. Um, you know, the the Red Sox generally hit well at Fenway and they know that ballpark and how to use it to their advantage. And with the difficulties that Manoa has had with control you know I thought if he got hit early that might all just fall apart and so for him to go out there and have you know a very very strong outing you know I'm not surprised by it I don't I just don't think I expected it we all know that he's more than capable of going out there and performing that way against any team in the league. We just haven't really seen it from him at all this season. And I still think that there is work for him to do. Um, I don't think that one really good outing negates all of the difficulties that he's had all season. Right. Because that's, there's been a lot that has gone on with him this season. And so, but it's such a huge, step forward for him, both in terms of, you know, his actual control of his pitches, you know, demonstrating that he's able to, to control the fastball and, um, you know, throw his, his um, slider, um, but also the confidence boost that hopefully this would give him. Right. Because I was at his last start. Pardon? Something to build on for sure. Yeah. Like I was at his last start you know, when he hits that player in the face, right? Mm-hmm. I was there. I saw his reaction on the mound. And, you know, things had kind of been going south for him in that outing leading up to that hit by pitch. And his reaction was so visceral. And you could just tell, like, how upset he was with himself. The, the you know, the idea that he had injured somebody, and he was he was so rattled. So then to come back out this outing and do what he did, I mean, that's tremendous for him. Well, if the Blue Jays stick with a six-man rotation, the next several Alec Manoa starts, I mean, you can't take anybody lightly, but he's not going against the Texas Rangers, the Houston Astros. He's got some softer... Uh, matchups coming up. He's got Cleveland up next. Then he's got the Cincinnati Reds, who I know are hot this year. Um, Cleveland again. Then the Colorado Rockies, followed by the Kansas City Royals. So a little bit of a runway here to 
maybe get him right uh, confidence wise if nothing else that watching him yeah after he hit that guy in the face oof that was i was worried that was going to be the end of his season so was i i really did i really thought you know depending on you know how he then looks in his bullpen session mm. subsequent to that and because he's such I a thought, bulldog. He pitches his best when he's going after a guy. And I don't want to see a timid Alec Manoa in there, right? So. Well, and and I think there's a really fine line there because, like I said, leading up to that hit-by-pitch, he was pretty wild, right? Like, he did hit Shohei in the foot. He definitely did not have control of his pitches. Um, and, you know, the Jays... You know, it's hard to say that they left him in there too long in the sense that it was only, what, the fourth inning, I believe, mm-hmm. when that happened. But you could tell that he really just didn't quite have it on the mound, you know, and and they probably, you know, sh- should have had somebody up and and in the bullpen, you know, leading up to that. Um, so there is a really fine balance there, I think, between letting him go out there and be his aggressive self with his pitches versus... You know, he doesn't have control over his stuff and he is potentially dangerous on the mound. Well, I I don't really have anything else to add to Alec Manoa until we talk uh, a six-man rotation uh, later. So unless there's anything else you want to add. Uh, no, talk- other than the fact that, you know, look, he, he's still not somebody I would want to pitch a in a... Um, playoff game for this for this team right now just given the season that he's had but I am very happy for him that he was able to go out there after having such a horrendous start having such a great start for sure for sure okay let's talk uh the rookie sensation then David <laughs> Schneider uh, the guy is 24 years old and looks like he's my uncle <laughs> the mustache was a great choice oh my goodness like you might as well. I love a person with personality, like totally. who isn't afraid to kind of, you know, be slightly outside the norm and just be themselves. I, I you know, so he pre- he already just presents that way. It's it's an awesome, yeah, just a, a piece of swagger that he's bringing to the table, like that he can make. I mean, the biggest games of his professional career to this point. And to be like, look, I'm not going to go out and take myself too seriously. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to have fun with it. Uh, to play loose the way he has and then to, I mean, it's early for sure. But what is it, two home runs and a 750 batting average through three games? <laughs> it's Yeah, two home runs, nine hits or something like that. Like, it's insane. I mean, obviously, you know, he'll fall back down to earth at some point, but... I, it's so it's just so great to see like it's how how cool is it to see this young kid get his opportunity and literally right out of the gate make the absolute most of it yeah. like that in that in in and of itself is is you know legendary but you know the flip side to it is you know the fact that a 24 year old call-up rookie is the one who's injecting life into this offense (laughs) who knew he was the right-handed bat we needed right 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, maybe Ross Atkins really was out there playing 4D chess, right? And, uh, you know, knew that this was the bat they needed rather than actually trading for somebody at the deadline. I don't know. I'm not going to give Ross that much credit, actually. <laughs> yeah, whether he deserves that much credit or everyone's I, 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 I'm sure he doesn't, actually. I'm, yeah. <laughs> but whatever. He walked backwards into one, and, uh, and this is awesome. Scott and I were kind of talking on Friday. We had concerns that David Schneider wasn't even going to get to play because that seems to be the Blue Jays' MO is is bring up these young guys and then just let them sit there for four days, give them one game, and then send them back down. So, um, what what's his future with the team for the rest of the season? That's a great question. I believe John Schneider, uh, no relation said after the game today that it's going to be, you know, really difficult to take him out of the lineup because how can you take somebody out of a lineup when they're performing? Like that just doesn't make any sense. Right. So I think he's going to continue to see games, um, you know, unless there's, um, I guess a pitching matchup that doesn't favor him. Um, Yeah. I think, I think he's going to get all the opportunity in the world right now. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. Um, I mean, we'll talk roster crunch here. and Let's just talk roster crunch while we're at it, I suppose. Uh, Jordan Romano's on the IL. He'll be coming back. Bobachette currently on the 10-day IL. That's set to expire on the Thursday. I don't see the Blue Jays moving him to the 60-day IL, even if he needed more time. Um There may be do you, Espinal and Bichio are who I want to talk about with you. I'm no expert on quickly checking to see how many options the guy has left. Um, let's just assume Bichio and Espinal have enough service time. And that might be the case. Someone in chat can uh, can double check me on this. Do how do either of these guys keep their their spot on the team if Schneider continues to hit like this? I don't think they do. I think one of them might have his time up. To be to be perfectly honest, um, you know, obviously, Bo is the guy, right? Clearly. Um, Paul DeYoung, they just traded for, they're not, he's not going anywhere. Um, and you look at Davis Schneider, who is, you know, again, he, 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 his numbers are going to come back down. He will have an 0 for 4 game. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we can all expect that to happen, but, with him looking the way that he does out of the gate, the fact that he's in three games that the Jays offense, you know, puts up numbers that they haven't put up all year. Um, I think James and T.O. tweeted something like it's the, you know, only the third time in franchise history they've had 14 or more hits in three consecutive games or, or, or I think that was the stat that he posted. Um, right. right. So, 
you know, to, to see these games where they're putting up these offensive numbers uh, with him in the lineup and him accounting for, you know, these two home runs, these, these, you know, multiple hits. I just don't see how you're taking him out of the lineup. Um, I know Biggio's got to have options. I would, I, I, I'm almost certain. He just might have too much service time. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's only service time. That might be the issue. Um, and so, you know, the team maybe just has a decision that they have to make here, right? Like, is it time to cut bait on one of these players? And this is just my concern with this, this or like from an organizational standpoint, I just worry that let's just say we get to Friday next week or whatever the day is. Romano is back. Bichette is back. Uh, and just from a like asset man, like they just prioritize asset management and they're like, well, even if Schneider is, hasn't come back down to earth, even if he's hitting 650 and is hitting two home or a home run every other day, they're just like, yeah, he's great, but we just, he's the only guy that we can send down and not lose. And I just worry about Ross Atkins being like, well, Let's move him down so we can hold on to Biggio and then maybe we can flip Biggio for something in the offseason. And I, I think that's a bad angle to take. Although maybe if, if Ross, Ross Atkins is in the hot seat, maybe he doesn't care about asset management anymore. Maybe. I mean, this front office has historically shown that they want to retain all of their assets if at all right. possible, right? They'll get creative this is what I'm saying. In, order, in order to do so. Absolutely. Um but we're past that. We have to be past that point, right? Well, you know, and I would like to think so, right? You know. It's going to be I mean, so well, frustrating. Well, it's going to be so frustrating, Jen, if David Schneider is even still hitting 300 for the next five days and he's the one getting sent down. Oh, people will be up in arms. Absolutely. Oh. People will be up in arms. And I And to be completely honest, I think there are people in that clubhouse who would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like they've all been around the game and they obviously completely understand roster management and so on and so forth. But, you know, if you've got a guy assuming, assuming that Schneider is, you know, still hitting and still right, right. If, if he's, to the if offense, he's slumping, then it's an easy decision. Sure. Like, but yes, let's, this time let's of assume. year, the only thing really that they need to care about is winning games. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's all that's. Their job, I think, entails at this point is making the decisions that will win them games. You know, um, could there be, I mean, this would be really pushing it. Could there be a phantom IL stint in there somewhere for somebody? You know, could we go that route to try to get to the roster expansion? I don't know. I I always forget about the Phantom IL stint. You're absolutely right. You know, maybe uh, Kevin Biggio makes a one game appearance and pulls up lame, uh, running to first base. Who knows? Like I, you know, I need. I almost need um, Connor as my counterbalance because we're on opposite ends of the Biggio spectrum. Um, <laughs> I personally, you know, was ready to let Biggio go like a year and a half ago two years ago. I just don't see how he 
really contributes to this team enough to keep him long-term. So, you know, I, 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 and I've never fully understood why they haven't included him in a trade package unless they've tried and there were no takers. Um, and I would find that to be a little bit surprising, but, you know, I have, I personally just was, have been willing to let him go for quite some time now. I just do not believe he is the player that they were hoping he would be. And I think we've seen enough of him to, to, to prove that. Well, my biggest defense of Kevin Biggio, and it's admittedly gotten hard in the last last 12 months, but has been his defensive versatility. And now, admittedly, we have other guys with maybe not quite as much defensive versatility, but we have more guys that can also cover. Like Whit Merrifield. Yeah. Defensive versatility. David Schneider plays all over the place, too. Yep. I haven't seen enough of him to know if he's a defensive liability or not, but. And both Vigio and Espinal can fit in 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 different. I know Espinal's not playing the outfield, but around the infield, they can both fill in, you know, second, short, third, right? So, you know, to me, they're just, they're, they're similar enough guys that's. Do you need to keep both of them it does around? Feel redundant. Yes. Redundant. And I, I, sure. I do think I'm thinking about it. I do think they have enough service time that they can refuse their option. I'm pretty sure I saw that on Twitter at some point today as well. Cause I, mm. I, I knew this question was coming. I knew this conversation was coming. Um, and I did take a quick look, but you know, if 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 you if if Biggio's the one to go and and he refuses, and the option, okay, DFA, let him go. Yeah. I just think it's time. I think there are better ways to fill that roster spot. I'm with you. I think. Yeah, I want to see what David Schneider has for the rest of the season because, uh, again, unless he really starts to slump, if he starts hitting 200, sure, we can send him back down. But if he's competent at all, I want to see what he's got because other decisions need to be made this offseason too. Like Matt Chapman, is he gone? We got, got to make a decision. Do we have the in-house solution? David Schneider... Half his games in the minor leagues have been at third base. Mm-hmm. 129 at second base, 109 at third base. Uh, 79 in left field. Yeah, I, I don't know what he's got defensively as a third baseman. I don't I don't begin to think we should be playing him at third this season. But I think second base is, is a fine spot for him. Um, I'm, I'm just going to be so friggin' heartbroken when he gets sent down and we're just trying to not lose Espinal or Biggio. And and again, like the MO of the front office is that is exactly the choice that they would make, right? Let's keep everybody and have all of our options open come the off season. So, you know, I'd like to think like they traded, they traded for a rental, right? At the deadline, they traded for a rental that is not something they tend to do. So maybe they are beginning to operate slightly differently than they have in the past, but 
because it is so easy to send Schneider back to the minors because that is such an easy decision. You know what that outcome is. He can't refuse it. You know, um, it, it's the easy decision. If this was last year, I'd be more okay with that. Like I'm, I'd still be a tough pill to swallow because you were like, no, we we're here to win. But this season has to be the put up or shut up year, right? Absolutely. This season has been up to this point. A lot of this season has been an absolute grind, right? Just an absolute grind. They have not had very many games like today's game, which were absolute laughers. So many of these games have been frustrating to watch, even when they do win the game, you know, because of fundamental errors that are being made, odd management decisions, um, leaving runners in scoring position, whatever the case might be. You know, even a lot of the wins have felt like grinds. It has not been an enjoyable season. Let's put it that way. Like, I this has been almost the least amount of fun I've had watching this team up till this point in the season. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, yeah. right? It is. Am I? Am I? My? Are you on that scene? I'm with. I'm with you. This has not been a fun season to watch, and. You know, they, they they need they need the next fifty games. They need to put up runs. They need to win every game possible, secure that wild card spot. Um, and and God, they need to win. They need to win that wild card series. Well, if playoffs ended today, uh, Blue Jays versus Minnesota Twins in the first round. I think the third wild like if we're not going to win the division, I'll take the third wild card spot over going to the trop. Yeah, I mean, on the one, okay, <laughs> the competitor in me, I, I'm a very, I have a very competitive personality. I don't know, I just do. I'm a very type A personality. The competitor in me doesn't want to try to line things up to get the easier matchup in the first round, right? I'm not saying we we rest our starters in the last week to... (laughs) No, but I mean, like, I hope that the... I even hope that the team isn't hoping for that, right? Like, I hope that the Blue Jays aren't in their own heads thinking, well, the third wild card spot... They should be confident that they can fight anybody to the death. Right. Yeah, because for me, that's almost like a loser mentality, right? Let's right. take the easy. All right, Jen, I'm a loser. I get it. Not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my mentality. Okay. I think that went sideways, but. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. You, you know you what I mean, right? It. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you're right, you're though. Right. As far as like actually going to the next round, that theoretically would be the ideal matchup at, the, at this point, right? But, you know, uh, yeah. Um, got to get there though. One way or the other, you got to get there. Got to get there. Um, speaking of getting there, this is, uh, just a, a total side tangent here. The Anaheim, sorry, the Los Angeles angels, uh, didn't trade Shohei Otani. They became buyers at the deadline and then proceeded to lose every game since then. <laughs> what? How cursed is this freaking team? I can't imagine being an angels fan. It um, is absolutely baffling. They're, to they're me. six and a half games back of the wild card spot now 
after losing. Like I understand at the trade deadline, they were what two games back. Yeah. I believe. So I, I, I understand from an ownership or from the front office point of view that it would be difficult to tell your fans we're only two games out and we don't believe in ourselves enough to go for it. That is something that, you know, as a front office, you're not going to do. The flip side is, I believe when they were two games out, I said they were out. I think I said that on an episode last week, (laughs) two weeks ago, that they were out of the race. Um, you I just yeah and and here here they are and the fact that they're going to get nothing for Shohei Otani and I understand the merchandising and you not wanting to be the team that traded away Shohei Otani but clearly this team needs some sort of a rebuild you know you've had Mike Trout's best years not this year but you've had Mike Trout's best years and you've done absolutely nothing with them. And now you've had several years of a magical unicorn named Shohei Otani, who might just go down as the best player of all time. And you still, it, it's an exercise in futility. What a mismanaged team. I, I, I cannot understand, you know, like I completely get, like I said, it's a, it would be a really tough pill to swallow to be the team that traded Shohei Otani, but to get absolutely nothing for him is gross negligence. Well, I mean, by comparison, you look at the New York Mets. That's a tough pill to swallow for uh, old Mr. Cohen there. but And he did. They, but they did, and they totally like reloaded their farm system, and they're going to be so much better off for it. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> you know, same thing. I imagine a man like Steve Hope Cohen has quite the ego. Um, you know, money money to throw around on on his fantasy baseball team, which is a real baseball team. You know, that's the insane part. He's playing fantasy baseball with a real team and real money out of his own pocket. Um, and for him to be able to say yeah, this, this, this didn't go well. This, this was a failure and I'm going to eat that money. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try again in the off season. I imagine that was pretty difficult for him to do, but he did it. And he did it in the New York market. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of intestinal fortitude to, uh, like you said, in a New York market, no less. To be able to do that okay let's let's get back on blue jays here and let's talk uh this don mattingly quote have you seen you've seen this quote i've seen it i've commented on it i think i have a different interpretation than so many other people all right because... well, let me let me read this first and mm-hmm. then uh so that anybody in chat or anybody listening that hasn't uh will be up to speed and then and then uh i'll throw to you so Don Mattingly says, uh, this is in the latest Caitlin McGrath uh, article, I guess, uh, with The Athletic. He says, I've read a lot of stuff, and one thing I haven't liked all year is it's like, oh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not living up to what they are on paper. And he said, uh, sometimes you're like, well, this is who we are. This is how we have to win. Uh, we got to be able to chip in runs here and there, chip in runs 
here and there. Uh, I don't look at this club that's just going to go out and have six, seven, eight guys hit 30 home runs. That's just not how we're built. That was just before the Blue Jays went out and I think five different guys hit a home run against the Red Sox in game one of that series. So the timing of it is hilarious. Um, but please give us your interpretation. So a lot of people on Blue Jays Twitter are quite upset or angry about that tweet. Um, the interpretation seems to be that he does not want the team's approach to be to hit home runs. And I saw people suggesting that Don Mattingly is the reason why Vlad is slumping. You know, he's clearly tried to change Vlad's approach and everybody else's. My interpretation of that, though, of that quote, I took it to be a shot at the front office and the way that the roster was constructed. That's how I interpreted it, that they added players who are not exactly known for their power, right? They're more contact players versus power hitters. And so a lot of the narrative uh, with regards to this team has been with, in terms of the difficulty scoring, right? And, 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 you know, Vlad not hitting home runs or this or that. I think that he was saying, yeah, everybody's saying we should be hitting home runs. That's not how this lineup is built. And I really saw it as a shot at the front office. Um, uh, my understanding is that Don Mattingly um, was hired because John Schneider really wanted him hired. Like that there, there is a connection there. John Schneider has worked with Vlad for years, years in this organization. John Schneider knows better than anybody what kind of a hitter Vlad Guerrero Jr. is. And I just cannot possibly imagine that Don Mattingly said to John Schneider, Vlad should change his approach and not try to hit home runs. And John Schneider said, you're right, Donnie Baseball. Let's <laughs> change him. Let's change what, what kind of player he is. I don't believe that that's what this is. So like I said, I just personally took that quote as being a comment on the roster construction. It's not designed to hit home runs. It's designed to make contact. It's designed to for more for small ball with the exception of, of maybe, you know, a certain players. Anyways, that's how I interpreted it. Apparently a lot of people on Twitter saw red after that quote. He was attacking our boys. How could he do this? Um, yeah. It's... And maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm not the one who interviewed him, obviously. Right. So maybe I'm completely wrong um, in, in terms of, in my interpretation, but that was what I took from it. Well, so here's this article from jaysjournal.com. Uh, Nigel puts up, Nigel Clark puts up this article, the headline, did Don Mattingly just save the Blue Jays season? Um, referencing this quote. Um, and then goes on to point out the fact that guys like Vlad, George Springer, Matt Chapman have all reached the 30 home run plateau. Uh, Brandon Belt did it over 
the 650 appearances split between two seasons. Danny Jansen has 35 home runs over his last 650 plate appearances. Um, it's not unrealistic to say Bo Bichette could be a 30 home run guy. Dalton Varsho hit 27 last year. Like there is a significant number of, of 30 home run mm-hmm. potential on this team. Um, the point of this article is basically was he trying to light a fire under some asses or was this uh, changing the narrative, right? To take it from everybody expects more and to change it to nobody believes in you, right? And to just kind of put that out into the ether Whatever it was, uh, is this just a coincidence or does does this have, uh, can, can the recent outburst of offensive production be in any way tied to Don Mattingly's comments or is this just a total coincidence, do you think? I think it's a total coincidence simply because I think if if that one comment can cause them to go out and put up the numbers they did this weekend, then they damn well could have done that two months ago, three months ago. Right. You know, we need more players only meetings. Well, I mean, they've had a couple of those too. Right. So yeah, no, I just, I, I think it is completely coincidental. The timing is hilarious. Absolutely. This team doesn't hit home runs proceeds to hit five home runs. Um, you know, that is, that is comical. But I don't think that they heard what Don Mattingly said. I don't think they all read that athletic article and then said, we are going to unite against Donnie Baseball and prove him wrong. Did Don Mattingly, did he get brought in? How do you say this? Were the expectations too high? Is he overrated as a manager? Possibly. Um, I mean, he's never won anything. Um, But I don't know that that necessarily is indicative of him as a manager. And that's one of the biggest criticisms you keep reading about him. Well, he's never won anything. Um, Okay. Uh, You know, totally different sport, but... Dwayne Casey won an NBA championship and got fired. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, winning championships does not necessarily equate to longevity and longevity does not necessarily mean you've won a bunch of championships. There's a reason there's gotta be a reason why he's been in the game as long as he has. Right. There has to be. So notable highlights from his managerial record. He's been managing for, 1800 games Uh, this is just as a manager this is not as a bench coach or whatever role he's in right now just as manager 1800 so roughly like 11 seasons worth uh, has a career winning percentage as a manager of 483 Mm -hmm. Um, five of those seasons were with the la dodgers Mm -hmm. Uh, three of those they finished first in the nl west and then proceeded to do almost nothing in the playoffs uh, his postseason win percentage is 417, so it's even worse. Um, he did win manager of the year in 2020 as manager of the Marlins. 
Uh, uh-huh. But that season, they were only two games above 500. They were 31 and 29. Uh, manager of the year, I think, because they went 57 and 105 the previous season. So a massive turnaround, but also a small sample size in 2020. I don't know what my thoughts are on Don Mattingly. I think he's, like you said, he's hung around baseball for a reason. Like, I have not followed his career trajectory, right? Like, mm-hmm. without going back and looking at what those, you know, rosters looked like of the, the teams that he managed and, you know, what did the other teams look like in that division? Without without sort of looking at all that surrounded him, it's hard to just look at his record and say, you know, he was good, he was bad, he was, you know, mid, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um there's got to be a reason why he's stuck around. There's got to be a reason why um, John Schneider or, you know, whomever it was that decided they wanted him as part of the Blue Jays organization. There's got to be a reason for that. Right. Cause well, otherwise why hire him? Why bring him in? Especially if you think that his philosophy towards baseball doesn't fit what you're trying to build why would you bring him in? So they they had to think something. They had to think he had something of value to offer. Um, you know, I know some people have speculated that Don Mattingly was brought in to replace John Schneider in case things went south and, and John Schneider was going to be fired as manager. But I don't think that that was really ever on the table. Not after firing Montoya last season. I'm with you. And then all Schneider has done is have a winning percentage of like 600 since then so uh, right has like i would be curious what the players all think you know i'm very curious because there are some veterans on this team who have played for other teams and have played for some you know successful teams in the past and those are the guys who what i would wonder right like and those are probably the conversations in a, in a, in a clubhouse with a reporter that take place off the record. Right. Like, I don't think like you're never, we're never going to hear that. We're never going to see that article um, because the players would not say, I guarantee they would not say on the record um, what they think of how things are going. Those off record conversations. First of all, you get told some very, very interesting things off the record. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Um, You don't even have to ask the question if a player has something on their mind, they will say it off the record because they want to plant a seed. But mm. yeah, it, that that would be the interesting conversation. Um, all right. Before I move on to uh, Yusei Kikuchi, uh, just from chat here, Will G says, from what I just looked, uh, I'm pretty sure Espinal can be sent down due to the lack of service time. He has just over two years of service time. Um, so there you go. In theory, fact check us on that. Espinal would be the guy. Uh, I'm pretty sure Biggio does have enough service time. So I think he does. There you go. Um, all right, let's talk. Let's just get really fun with it. Let's talk wild card pitching rotation. Game one is Gossman, right? That's a no brainer. Game one is Gossman. Game two is Barrios. You gotta, yep. Game three gets interesting. Bassett, Kikuchi, 
Ryu or Manoa? I mean, the solution to this problem is to win the first two games. <laughs> that's that's a great answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. That solves the problem. Um, I think game three in a must-win game, I think you're go- giving the ball to Bassett with all hands on deck. That's what I think you're doing. Um because I think he's had a strong enough season. I don't think Ryu has been, I mean, he's only had the one start and, you know, I I just don't think you're, you're trusting him necessarily to give you six, seven quality innings. He'd have to have a really good next six, seven weeks. He would have to, he would have to be like young Ryu out there. Right. Like, yeah. OG Ryu. Um, Kikuchi's Kikuchi has, let's be honest. I think Kikuchi has earned the trust of being given the ball. I really do. Um, and I know that I am a bit of a, a, a you say Kikuchi stand. So, um, you know, I've been aboard that train since the off season, but, mm-hmm. um, I really, I really think that he has absolutely earned, uh, the right to pitch in a playoff game. Um, I just, you know, so that game three, you know, you give the ball to Bassett. If it doesn't look like he has it, there's Kikuchi, right? Right away. You, you're not even hesitating. Um, or I guess you could do it vice versa. I mean... It would be hard to not give the ball to Bassett because he's also earned that trust. He and he's been so rock solid this year. I know that the splits versus lefties aren't are the best, but and so maybe, that game good. three then maybe just depends on what who you're playing and how which how each pitcher lines up against that roster. Um, why can't I? Sorry, I'm just looking at stats right now. This is not. This is not working for me. I'm going to abandon this. Um, yeah, I guess my point being is, even though Chris Bassett has struggled against lefties, I don't feel like Yusei Kikuchi. Ah, I don't know. I got to do more research on this before I come out with an actual opinion on the matter. But my gut is telling me to lean towards Bassett in in a game three. I think, I honestly think that that is the right answer. Now, you know, there's still some regular season left to play. So let's see how the two fare down the stretch. But I think, like I said, it depends on who you're playing in that wild card game. And you look at that lineup and how both Bassett and Kikuchi match up against that particular lineup. That's ultimately how you make that decision as to who's getting the ball out of the gate and who's coming out of the bullpen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Hypothetically, what if through September... 
doesn't matter. It could it could go either way for this example, but let's just say Kikuchi is having a really good September, like a sub three ERA September. Bassett is having like a four and a half ERA, and the whips match. But the advanced analytics, when you start looking at matchups, and you go, well, historically. Bassett has pitched better against these players that we're going to face in round one. Should we overmanage in that situation or should we go hot hand? We know that they overmanage in these situations, whether they should or not is a different matter. We know that they do. <laughs> there you go. No point arguing then. We know they'll go with do. the analytics. I think I know. I know That's every single of. time. That's not I'm afraid of. I will say though, kudos to you say Uh I would not feel bad about seeing him start game one of the second round if we were to get there Kikuchi? no so which is not how i felt last year so uh, what a turnaround from him uh, very good season can we yeah, can we yeah can we just take like literally literally just a second to pause and like that little you know ounce of respect is for how hard he worked his ass off from the off season all the way through to to change his delivery to put on muscle to grow a beard um you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like really and and the the excitement that you see out of him right like the the emotion that you're seeing like he's excited when he makes a good pitch you know he's showing that emotion on the mound he is excited when you know his teammates behind him make a great play and, 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 and bail him out. He is angry when his manager comes to get him too early, you know, like that little bit of fire that we see in him. I mean, we saw nothing of that last season. He was defeated and to go from that to this and he's maintained it, you know, yes, he's had a couple of blippy uh, uh, outings. Absolutely. They all have, um, but he's maintained it. I, I just, anyways, that's my little bit of Kikuchi love for today's episode. <laughs> he shaved a point and a half off his ERA. He went from 5.2 last year to 3.7 right now. He cut his walks per nine in half. 5.2 walks per nine last year, 2.7 this year. Yeah. It's he's having a career insane. season and uh, absolutely it's awesome. Absolutely. So, such a, such an incredible thing to see. You don't, you know, how often do you see that big of a swing? Everybody wanted For a guy who's 32 years old. Like he's 32. He's not, you know, he's no spring chicken anymore. So, you know, it, I love how really we, good. when we talk about players that way though, and they're on their young, early thirties. And I think hey, oh. I'm on the wrong side of 30 as well. So. I'm on the wrong side of 40, but okay. You're not going to go there. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, So yeah, Yusei Kikuchi for me, the question being, is he in your playoff rotation? I'd say, yeah, he is, but hopefully not in round one. Agreed. I, I, I agree with that. Like I said, win those first two games and then figure out the rest. Yeah. Especially if you're playing the twins if you're playing the twins um okay let's uh let's talk this brawl in uh in cleveland yesterday jose ramirez 
Uh, didn't quite knock out Tim Anderson, but he sure knocked him down with a good right hook there. What were your thoughts on that? Did you that see that was it? wild. That was not a baseball fight. That was a fight. That was a rumble. Oh yeah. That was like a bar fight. Um there's a lot to unpack there. There's an there's a there's so many different angles we could talk about this from. Um where do I even go on this one? I have a lot to say. I'm just trying to pinpoint where to start. I mean, uh, Tim Tim Anderson has gained a reputation for being an exciting player who rubs people the wrong way. And it's one thing I think to rub fans the wrong way who think, oh, the game should be played this way or that way. And I don't pay any real attention to that part of it. But when other players um, take offense to what you're doing and it seems to be across the board, you know, that tells me a lot more than any fan's reaction. Um, from what I read, uh, the J-Ram quote was that Tim Anderson said he wanted to fight. Right? I want to fight. And, you know, Anderson got up and put him up and and got knocked out. He had to be helped off the field. And I don't like to see, I, I don't, to be, to, to be clear, I don't like to see anybody get hit, particularly to the point where he could he could barely walk off that field. He needed a tremendous amount of assistance to get off that field. I would imagine he's concussed. Um, I would imagine he's going to miss. They're both going to be suspended for quite a few games. Um, with that in mind, because I know we're getting questions in chat, if because uh, we're we got Cleveland coming up next, so is Jose Ramirez going to miss this series? Yeah, he will. Unless he appeals. Um, might appeal it. So, I mean, for me, the obvious context is to go look at the Rogue Ned Odor fight with Jose Batista from 2016. Um, he was initially suspended for eight games, appealed it, it was reduced to seven. So. Eight to seven, like, who cares? Like, that's just, you know, uh, yeah. I, 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 I mean... I guess J-Ram could argue that Tim Anderson literally asked for it. The flip side <laughs> is you don't necessarily need to give it. Um, now, would Anderson literally have swung first? He might have. Like, if if, if, if J-Ram hadn't, I, I, I can't remember. Who swung first? I can't Somebody remember Somebody in chat either. say who swung first, because I'm trying to picture the video now, and I just I can't feel like picture. Tim Anderson did. Probably. But... Probably. And once a guy swings on you, I mean, let's be honest, it's it's fair game. So, yeah. I okay. So, so if, Ander if Anderson swung first, absolutely. Like, what is J-Ram supposed to do? Just stand there? No, of course not. You are going to hit back. And yeah. so, and he landed the punch. He, he, he. Hmm. Well, as, as Terry Francona said after the game, boys will be boys. 
Well, and and I don't, I, yeah, I actually hated that quote. He obviously just didn't really want to comment one way or the other. What did you um, hate with that quote? I hate, I just hate the idea of boys will be boys. Like, I just don't what think do that that's a way of excusing anybody's behavior, right? Like, you know, the flip side, what girls can all be catty and malicious. Like, I don't know. I just don't like the, the, the stereotypical excusal of be, of, of behavior, personally speaking. Um, I don't think it's a boys will be boys thing. I think Tim Anderson has a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on in his personal life right now. Uh, all problems of his own doing. Um, I don't know if anybody knows about any of that, but he's got essentially two families going on. So there's a lot going on with any of that going on with Tim Anderson. Yeah. He's got, so he's, he's got, got so he's got a wife and a child and he has a another woman and a child on the way, I believe. And wife, I believe, is now obviously in the know. I mean, if I'm in the know. Um, this is a new development. This is all just coming to light. This is So there's a lot there's a lot going on there in his personal life. Again, it is problems of his own creation. Um, right. but there's that going on. There's the on-field uh stuff that has been his entire career and again i don't necessarily care what fans say about playing the game the right way but there are a lot of players who seem to think that he's crossed the line from being you know just an exciting player to actually disrespecting people on the other team he was chirping uh the guardians rookie the entire game, um, you know, like he was, he, it's almost like he was looking for it leading up to the incident with J-Ram. And then actually, according to J-Ram saying, I want to fight, he literally was looking for it. So I don't know. There, It, it sounds to me like there's an awful lot going on there that he with, I guess, the help of his team is going to have to sort out and get right. And I mean, it doesn't help that the team is horrible. Like, I guess, what is there to play for at the moment from that perspective? Man, I got to say, going into the trade deadline, even before the Bo Bichette injury, I was starting to lean towards, like, I kind of hope we go get Tim Anderson. Like, as a buy low In an alternate universe, project. both of these players are Blue Jays. Yeah, isn't that weird? Isn't that Oh, I'm starting to feel like we really dodged a bullet, though. So. Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes, Especially and again, like, I, oh. I I will say this from having very my very brief stint of working in the Blue Jays, like being in that clubhouse and being somebody who's been told stuff by players off the record. When When you hear things about a player, you're hearing them for a reason. All right, there it is. Uh, boy or not, Tim Anderson got what he deserved, maybe. Or maybe, I don't know, deserved or not, he got what he asked for. Um, what, what, and this is this can just be a fun short answer, but what was a more wild highlight to see or moment from baseball yesterday? That fight or 
Reese McGuire trying to score in the ninth inning yesterday on that deep fly ball. What do they say that that was the lowest moment of their season or their past couple of seasons? Is that what Alex Cora said? I didn't see any post-game quotes, but it was hilarious, and I loved every minute of it. I think I think Alex Cora said that that was one of his lowest moments on with the team for several years. Um, so I, anybody, I let's explain what happened for anybody. I missed most of last yesterday's, yesterday's game. game, just for the record. So I think Jays were up 4-3 or 5-4, bottom of the ninth inning. One out. I think runners on first and second. Reese McGuire, former Blue Jay, uh, dishonorably discharged. On second base. I don't know who hit it, if it was Raphael Devers or who. It doesn't really matter. One of the Red Sox, deep, deep fly ball. To straightaway center field, basically. Uh, in the highlight, you can very clearly see Reese McGuire with like the fist up, like, yeah, we, we just tied it up or whatever kind of a gesture as the ball is like leaving the bat. Um, I guess assumed that was either gone or going to be off the green monster, uh, but went straight for home. Uh, no thought of tagging up or anything uh, with just one out. It stayed in the field of play and Kevin Kiermeyer caught it at the warning track and then very easily doubled off Reese McGuire at second base. Um, and that ended the game. So. It's, I mean, obviously it's a stupid baseball play. Um, you know, you're not even paying attention to the situation. I, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but I don't know what he was thinking in that Dollar Tree parking lot either. So. Yeah, um, from a base running dumb decision standpoint, I, th was he, I think it was either earlier in the game or at some point in this Red Sox series, we had a base running gaffe with Santiago Espinal. Espinal's on second, Kirk is on third. Alejandro, slowest man in baseball, Kirk, is on third base. And there's a sack fly to right field. Pretty deep. Um, Kirk takes off to go home. Takes maybe like three steps. And then turns around and goes back to third. Uh, Espinal did not realize that Kirk was not committing to going home. So Espinal went from second to third. Uh, cut off man. I think it was the pitcher. Got the throw home and, and went to second with it. Espinal was dead to rights by a mile. How how bad is that of a running gaff? Like, is that that is what it is? Is that give me like a scale of one to ten? One being what Reese McGuire just did, and where where is that? These guys are professional. Like, okay, mental errors happen. Sure. Um, we know that we've all made mental errors in our own jobs, so you know it's hard to go all in on that, but. As a professional, and this is what you do for a living, you have to be aware of who the runner is in front of you, right? I don't think you can assume that Kirk is going to necessarily, you know, try to play the running game, you know? 
Uh, you have to be a lot more aware of that. It's not like it was. And so, yeah, it's. It, at, at least, you know, the, the Reese McGuire one ended a rally, ended the game, ended a rally, right? Boston mm -hmm. very easily might have won that game if Reese McGuire had not made that mistake. Um, you know, whereas Espinal's did not cost them the game. But if you're not aware of the situation, you know, the, 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 the two and a half hours it takes to play a game, you, you know, whenever you're on the field, you, you have to be, your mind has to be all in it as much as possible. I keep going back and forth on Espinal myself because I mean, just looking at the numbers alone this year compared to last year, so disappointing. Uh, obviously, an all-star last season. Uh, this season, he's hitting 222 with an OPS plus of 70. Like, he's just bad defensively. His defensive numbers, awful. Scott and I were talking on Friday, who has more errors, Boba Shedd or Espinal? The Bobachette still has more errors, but it's only one more. It's like 8-7. And Bo plays shortstop full-time, and Espinal plays second base twice a week. I want to I wanna write Espinal off, but I also want to say, God, it would be hard to keep your head in the game when you're not playing full-time. Where's where Where do you land on this balance? Because I don't feel good about just giving him a pass. Like... This is the big leagues. Nobody so gets that's, a pass. That's the thing, though. When you're not playing full-time, so I, I understand maybe skills can get rusty or whatever, but when you're not playing full-time and you get an opportunity, you have to absolutely have your head in the game, right? You can't expect, expect to get more playing time if you can't hit and you're making defensive gaffes and you're making outs on the base pass, right? You are not earning an opportunity to play more. So then it's just, uh, you know, a, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And, you know, and, and this is part of the problem too, like with, with players or sorry, fans and or management kind of falling in love with a player off of one really good season. You know, Kirk yeah. last season, Espinal last season, you know, <sighs> You got to you got to take a look at the the overall body of of work. I would I would I would imagine that what we're seeing out of Espinal this year is closer to who he is as a player than what we saw last year. I think so too. I think even the first half versus the second half of last season uh for Espinal was was miles apart. If you were to not from like a Blue Jays perspective or an asset management standpoint, but just from a like, you're a gal who likes Espinal or a guy who likes Espinal standpoint. His future in Major League Baseball, let's just say that it's not with the Blue Jays next year. And let's say this offseason, he goes to the Washington Nationals or the Pittsburgh Pirates or the a team that needs a second baseman or could use them or whatever. 
and he's getting 150 plus games next year. What does the future of Espinal look like? What is with what you've seen of his skill set? If he's playing every day and a change of scenery or whatever, is he good? Does he hit 270 plus? Does he hit 230 with regular playing time? Like, what's how much of this bad Espinal can we just write off as? Yeah, but he's not playing full time. I'm sure some of it is attributed to that. I don't know. Okay. I could be. I can't judge. I, I have absolutely no idea how much playing part time contributes to a guy's ability to perform when he is put in there. I don't have a way of measuring that. That would actually be an interesting article to write as well, um, and and find out what the effects of that are. Um, you know, I think he can be on a team, on a team like the ones that you just named. Um, he, I think he can, he can be at, probably at worst, a serviceable major league player at you know, worst. Do you think he has another all-star game in him? No, I don't think so either. Um, as much as I want to give him some slack for, you know, even personally, like it's you're rusty and it's hard to, when you're in a rhythm, things are easier across the board but like you said can't be making excuses at this level and you do need your your guys your gals to be ready to go when they do get that opportunity and i do think like a guy like dalton varsho maybe not statistically uh, a powerhouse offensively this year but like if he gets relegated to a fourth outfielder role for the next two months I still feel like he's going to have his head in the game when he does get in, whether it's a substitution in the seventh inning or whether it's getting a start once a week or whatever. Like if that's how it was to play out, I feel like a guy like him is going to be zoned in, not zoned out. His defense, Virgil's defense is elite, right? And so even when he's not hitting, which he isn't, um, his defense is elite. And that alone, I think, is enough to, to you know, for him to go out there and, and contribute to the team. Now, in saying but, all of this, though, about... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but, like, with the defense, like, we, we did see... I'm not saying Espinal's defense is elite, but, like, he was a, quote-unquote, better defensive option than Bo Bichette at shortstop. But, like... Now he's not like he he looks bad defensively, and I I just I'm not worried about that with Dalton Varsho even if he was playing as often. Sorry, continue your absolutely. Um, but I don't know that Espinal even when he looked good last year, I don't know that he ever would have been considered an elite defender, right. right? Whereas Varsho is absolutely known for his defense. That is his part of his mo as a player. Um, now just going back to the idea of playing part-time and that therefore leading to slumps. There are players on this team like Vlad, for instance, like Springer who are playing full-time and are not having good seasons. True. So whether or not a guy is playing full-time or not, you know, that, that almost then throws that argument of part-time player out the window because here are these full-time guys 
who've gotten absolutely zero momentum at any point this season. Right. And, and I know Springer maybe isn't aging particularly well, but he should be better than what we're seeing. Vlad is young. Vlad should be coming into his best years and absolutely should we, we should be seeing more from him. Well, while you're on the topic of Vlad, let's just talk Vlad and his future with this team then, because after this season, he has two more years of control, ARB three and ARB four. After a season in which he probably won't get to the 20 home run mark, maybe he will, but even if he gets there, uh, it's a down season offensively, right? Even if he has a September bow version of himself, right? Uh, this season is not exactly the kind of season that gives the front office confidence to be like, hey, here's $350 million. So with that in mind, this offseason, zero chance he gets extended? 1%? I think if he hasn't been extended yet, I don't think it's happening. And I've maintained, and I'm going to continue to maintain, that I think both he and Bo will want to test free agency. Not because they don't want to be Blue Jays, but because they will want to see what they can get on the open market. They will want to see what the best offers are and have their choice. Um you know, like I, these guys come from money and come from baseball families. And I can almost guarantee that that is how they would be advised. I can, um, I can see Bo getting a deal this off season. Like I, I can see, I can see the front office going to him and be like, here's $400 million and him saying, okay, thanks. So that's I, what I was going to, I was just going to follow that up. I can't, I can't see that with, that. I can't see that happening with Vlad though. Like this off season, I don't think coming off of a down year, the front office gives him full value. Like, I don't think we're going to have the confidence to be like, oh yeah, you're going to be a 40 home run guy for the next 15 years and we're going to pay you as such. But in his mind, he has to still think, well, no, I'm a 40 home run guy. I had one off, like I had an off, an off year, um, but that's what he's going to want to get paid. So, so I think the, the chances he gets extended this off season is zero. And then next off season, even if he hits, 55 home runs and hits 330. Now he's only one year away from free agency. Like, why would you at that point? Well, the when narrative you're, you're has that definitely close. shifted, right? Yeah. The narrative has absolutely shifted as to, you know, who is the franchise player between Vlad and Bo. Um, the who fact do you lean that. Towards? I know that you're, you don't think either of them is going to stay, but. I don't think either one of them is going to stay. Um, if you could keep one, though, like if you were right now, you've got to go with Bo. Okay, you have to. I'm with you. Um, I think that, and I've been tough on Bo uh, repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So I, I That's saying will, a lot. Yep, I've I have been, and the fact that Bo has somehow figured out, like he has not slumped this season. He has absolutely figured out uh, now whether that continues into next year, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but he's figured out how to be a consistent player and he has dramatically improved his defense. 
Having Chapman at third probably helps that situation, but he has improved his defense. Substantially, um, yeah. Right? So if you're the front office and you're looking at these two guys and you're saying, which one of these two guys are we going to go to this offseason and offer a mega contract to? I think it's probably Bo. That's what I think. Um, but I genuinely don't think either one of them is taking the offer. Fair enough. I could be wrong. I don't know. I just, again, having the major league pedigree in them, knowing that that shot at a massive free agent signing is, is limited in a player's career. I just think they're going to both want to see what they get on the open market. They might still choose Toronto. I think, I think there could be a Manny Machado type deal that entices them. Something Possibly. That's like, like 10 years, 300 million with an opt out after five. And then they do that. They get 150 million and then they can still opt out when they're like 28, 29 years old. If they feel like, you know what? The market has shifted. It's gone up. I can still sign another 10 year deal for another 300 million. I think that's, that's on the table. I think the blue Jays would offer something like that to Bo. I don't think they would offer something like that to Vlad right now. And I guess this is where we can end this particular piece of the well, pie is but like, where's your confidence in Vladdy like career long at this point? So I was listening to the fan 590 uh, and it was just a clip that had been posted on, on Twitter from the fan 590. It was the morning show, but I can't remember who was on it because uh, I don't think it was the regulars or at least one of the regulars was missing. So I, I don't know who to attribute this to, um, but they said that Vlad was close to becoming the B word. And I'm pretty sure B as in bust. Ooh. That was okay. what I assumed was the B word. Okay. Now, I'm just tossing that out there because I'm curious what you slash the chat thinks of that comment. Is he anywhere close to potentially being a bust? What is the confidence level in him long-term? I'm just curious what other people think. Well, so after, what was his season, best season? Was that 2021? his best season yeah 2021 he hit 48 home runs on base percentage 401 slugging 601 um played all 161 games that year second in mvp voting lost to shohei otani so my hype on vladdy was at an all-time high that offseason Understandably so. I think I'm not alone in the excitement around a, what was he, 22-year-old that just hit 48 home runs. Um, sky's the limit. It felt like he was still on an upward trajectory. Like, oh, he's going to hit 55 next year, and he's just going to hit 40 to 50 home runs for the next 20 years. And I hope they're all in Blue Jays uniforms. My brother, more pessimistic. Says that I think that might be the best season we ever get out of Vlad. Not to say he was expecting 17 home runs and a 245 batting average uh, two years later, but I'm I I I think I feel like that probably was the best Vlad we'll ever see. 
I don't know if we'll ever see Vladdy hit 50. I think it's entirely possible that 2021 was the best season of his career. And I'm not suggesting that that's absolutely true because he's so young. Um, He has not come into his prime, Um, but that was a heck of a season. And it's been quite a drop off to this season there. The, the concern is how poor his plate discipline has become, right? Like the, the approach that he's taking, the pitches that he's swinging at, um, whatever, what he's doing is not what had made him successful up until this point in his career. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, too many people in his ear about what he should or shouldn't be doing. I would like to think not again, because he's been in the organization since he was 16 years old. They know what his strengths are. So I would like to believe that nobody is trying to change his approach. Did he try to change it himself? Um, Is he like, I don't know. Like, that's the big question mark. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm worried about him. I think there, there's a reality in which he hits 20 to 25 home runs a season for the next 15 years and has a really good career. Goes to the All-Star game. That's not a first ballot Hall of Famer that I felt like we had two years ago. So, I mean, if if the B word is can be used, like, relatively speaking, I would say right now I'm worried about it. But, like, I don't know. I've watched a lot of, a lot of Blue Jays teams where we had worse first basemen than what Vladdy currently is at his what? potentially at his worst. I also think that even though 20, 2021, I, I'm now in the camp that I think that's probably the best season he ever had. I also would probably say this might be the worst season he's ever going to have that's until fair. he's like, until he's like 38 or whatever, but you can't, you can't count those the same. So. I do know that he is not the player I want coming up in a big situation with the game on the line right now. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, Well, we're almost done now for the day. Uh, We're an hour and 20 minutes in, but the two of us did pretty good. Uh, Do you have anything that you would like to go off about before we say goodbye? And I have one that I want to get to. Um, I'll just tell you what the topic is. And then if that's one of yours, we can do the other one. It's Anthony Rizzo. Okay. Are you familiar with the situation there in New York? Uh, Refresh my memory. His cognitive impairment, his brain injury stemming from a concussion like three months ago. And just the handling of that. I don't know enough about it, but it sounds like, again, I'll use this term I used earlier, gross negligence. I I don't know how, I mean, concussions are a tricky thing. They can be difficult to diagnose. Um, Symptoms can go away and then recur later on. Um, There are very 
tricky, tricky thing to deal with, but the term cognitive impairment, like that's a concerning, that's concerning. Yeah. Right. So, like so that's not post-concussion syndrome where, you know, symptoms went away, but now they're seeing some of them creep back in. Cognitive impairment suggests that you know, his brain is literally not functioning the way that it should be. Like, that's what that term suggests. Like, that yeah, medically... I mean, he, he's described, from some of the reports I've read, he's described instances in which he'll be mid-game and not... He'll not remember how many outs there are. Right. Like, he'll be standing at first with his glove on and just not know, like, what the score is or what inning they're in. It's not good. Uh, I guess. Yeah. No, it's, so, it's not. It's not good. And it's it's I don't under I, I don't again, I don't know enough about it, but I don't know how it's something that the team missed. Well, right. I, OK, so Scott and I talked about this on Friday a little bit. And, you know, Scott's initial reaction was everybody should be fired or suspended and the gross negligence and all this. Right. Um, I, I taught I was able to talk him back a little bit. And I guess my I, I don't know. And. Future reports will, I'm sure, illuminate the situation more and, and we can have a more educated opinion at that point. But, like, some of this has to fall on Anthony Rizzo, maybe? Does, am I victim blaming here? Like, I know he's injured, but... I mean, so, if he passes concussion protocol, like, whether he fails it initially or not, at some point, he has to pass whatever tests are being run before he gets greenlit to suit up again. And then there's just got to be a point where I mean, you see it all the time. Guys have an, a lingering ailment or some sort of an injury that they don't necessarily want to come forward with, or they want to play through. Is that his fault? Or is that the, the culture of sports that's to blame? Like where can we fit this? Like we, we need this. Not we, it's not on us, you and I to, to suss through this, but like, where would you like to see baseball or sports in general do things differently with concussion protocol and injury management to like, I think we can both agree. This needs to be, these decisions need to be taken out of the player's hands, right? Like I can almost guarantee that if he was having short lapses in memory, he either didn't notice them or he wrote them off as just being, whoops, I just stopped paying attention for a second. Um, and I say that as a person with epilepsy. Okay. Um, so I I can almost, I can almost guarantee that he was aware, unaware, sorry, unaware of, of, of those, some of those lapses, if not most of those lapses. Um, in which case, I guess when a guy has suffered a concussion, maybe the protocol needs to change. Maybe there needs to be, and I don't know that this wasn't happening because I have absolutely no idea. Um, but maybe there needs to be like long-term assessments and maybe it does need to somehow involve memory or you know cognition 
I don't know what those tests would look like. I, I assume they exist, right? But maybe that needs to become part of concussion protocol over the long period of time. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. And if you and, and if a player who has suffered a concussion and is cleared concussion uh, protocol and is playing in a game and seems to have a lapse in judgment, maybe that needs to signal something, right? It's not a lapse in judgment the way Reese McGuire had one, right? <laughs> maybe it needs to be looked at from that different lens. I don't know exactly what the answer is. I don't, I think it's difficult. I think it's a really tricky one. It is. It feels like this is such a, I'm, I'm really, uh, this is a cop out for me to say, but I, I think it's just like an unfortunate situation. I, I don't know where to point blame. Like to, To say we need to enhance protocols, like, is there even a test that can be done to just definitively prove this? Like, if we, if baseball just went to a format <coughs> in which they were, we're just going to give an MRI daily to anybody who we suspect of having a concussion. Like, would that even necessarily show no. definitively that he has had a... Like that's what like the brain is such a complex thing. This is so far beyond my my skill level, but there, none of my brains can show anything wrong. There, like there is a, an onus on the players to self-report, but all like maybe we got to educate the the players on what better to report about. Like I'm reading these reports of Anthony Rizzo saying, you know, I felt I woke up feeling foggy every day, but I had kind of just attributed it to like you know, it felt like a hangover. You know, just the grind of, of baseball and being one year older, you know, like he's not a spring chicken either. Um, I don't know. We've all worked in workplaces where day one, it's like, okay, here's your workplace hazard training safety seminar, right? And you sign off on the paperwork and you watch the stupid VHS tape and they're like, it's your responsibility to ensure a, a safe workplace. And if you see something, say something, right? And like, that's all in all of us. And, and they really drive that into your head that like, you need to speak up if you see an unsafe work practice. But then when you do, you're not rewarded for it, right? Like the, the formal policies say, hey, if you have cognitive impairment, speak up and, and let us know. But then in reality, it's like everything else is discouraging that from actually happening. Like, I know Anthony Rizzo's made millions of dollars and, and he's still under contract for next year plus the club option. But, you know, how many guys are out there with a similar situation, but they're like, well, I haven't been paid yet. And I mean, look at Fernando Tatis Jr., right? Like. He uh, had no injury history until he signed his mega deal. And then all of a sudden it's shoulder injury followed by shoulder injury. And then he goes, I'm not too worried about it. I've had shoulder injury problems my whole life. And it's like, well, you sure keep that to yourself until you get paid. And I can't even blame a guy for doing that. Huge difference between a shoulder injury and a brain injury. Huge difference. And I, and I'm, and yeah, I, and but I'm the motive to keep your mouth shut is not the same. 
No, what I mean, sorry, what I mean is that in terms of actually being aware that you have an injury, being aware that there is something actually wrong. Um, that's, that's all I mean by that. And I don't know that, you know, Anthony purposely kept it quiet and I, I, I don't know, right. It's very easy to be foggy or to have a headache. It's very easy to write off to just daily things, daily, situational things, right. You know, um, versus, you know, y- your shoulder, you know, is injured, you know, yeah. um, and some of it with with the brain you have to even rely on the people around you to like say hey do you realize you like you just completely zoned out there are you even aware right and if people aren't pointing that out to you you yourself might not be aware and and like i said i i i have epilepsy and i it's not the same as a concussion but i have some experience in in this in this realm hey lewis Hey, Lewis, Finally, thanks for, glad I could yeah. see you again at the end. It's all good. Sorry, I didn't see it till just now. Uh, we got we got zoned in on uh, cognitive impairment. So ironically, yeah, was, I I wasn't able to focus and, <laughs> uh, and catch you. So okay, so we're talking Anthony Rizzo here. If you want to chime in with your two cents on this, uh, are you familiar with the Anthony Rizzo situation? Yeah, I am. I I honestly don't even know how it happens. Like, how is this? I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but you know, when when in sports, when you're paying these guys millions of dollars and there's that head-to-head contact, I feel like there's got to be more layers to this than just that initial check, right? Because he's clearly been dealing it for, what, two months and his stats have been terrible, which is probably a result of his, you know, what he was recording with the fog, his ability to, you know, pick up the baseball. So, yeah, I'm not sure what points you guys made about it, but it just seems like there was a there's a missing link with how the team should have taken care of this for the long term, not just the initial short term screenings. That's more or less what I said, that the team probably yeah. needs to screen more than just the initial passing of concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. And my not to like let the team off the hook, but just me taking the devil's advocate stance here is uh even like at a at a certain at a certain point he's going to pass the tests like if it is like whatever the assessments are for mm-hmm. concussion protocol short of giving him an MRI daily and he, and then even then like it's not going to show up on a on a brain scan necessarily like the brain brain injuries are such a finicky thing right is that i I have a hard time just totally throwing this on the lap of the Yankees, like medical staff and being like, they dropped the ball on this one. Mm. Like I, again, future reports could come out and enlighten us with more information. That's like, Oh yeah, there was gross negligence here. Or it could be like, no, they did everything to a T like they dotted their eyes, crossed their T's. They did everything properly. And it's just like an unfortunate it fell through the cracks, but then how do you close those cracks? And I don't know how you realistically, like definitively just test for that, like short of self-reporting. And I can't fault a guy for not self-reporting. I, oh. I can virtually guarantee he was not aware of 
what was wrong. I, I, I just, I know this, I know this one. Um, other people had to have noticed that he wasn't himself. Do we think his teammates are responsible then for not reporting him? Because I don't like the idea of my teammates needing to rat me out for being injured. Like, just because like so much money's on the line, it's my livelihood, like generational wealth is at stake here. I I'm a, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with putting the onus on teammates inside the locker room to be like, hey, this guy who's trying his best to grind it out right now is, is something's going on with him. I'm a yeah, little up. Generational wealth is on the lines, but so is long term dementia starting at age 50. So do you think that's... I don't know. I, you know what? Like, like, this is the thing. Like, I really... I'm not even saying players reporting. You have a medical staff for a reason, right? And you have a coaching staff who would notice, like, you know, he's out there and unaware, seemingly unaware of what's going on around him on the field. <laughs> There's that- a difference between him, like, picking dandelions... And just like not knowing how many outs there are, right? Like that might just be something that he doesn't even say to anybody. Like he might know like, oh, okay, here I am standing at first base. How many fucking outs are there? Uh, And then checks the scoreboard and is like, okay, there's two outs. And that might be a new experience for him where he's just always known until then, right? He's not coming into the clubhouse and being like, hey, the craziest thing just happened. I lost track of how many outs. Isn't that hilarious? And then... Josh Donaldson's like, hey, we should speak up about him. Like, I, I just can't. I don't know where to point fingers. This is what I mean. Is it, it feels like a situation where I want to point fingers, but coaching staff, medical staff, self-reporting, teammates, it just feels like unfortunate. I don't know. I, I don't feel good about blaming the medical staff. If, in fact, and again, future reports could change my opinions on this, but I haven't seen any yet that there was gross negligence or that they did tests and did some sort of a cover up like, Oh, well, he's kind of borderline with his, how many fingers am I holding up test? Let's just get him out there. Cause we need the win. I, I haven't seen that that's happened. I'm just willing to bet that people around him noticed more than he noticed himself. That would be, that would be, and I'm guessing. Like, can you give me a tangible example of something that they would have noticed? Like, do you think he would have just been dizzy or dazed or fallen over? Like, what would there be to notice if it, this is, this, this is the thing with brain injuries and I'm not trying to make light of it. This is something that as my reflexes and stuff have slowed down as I've gotten older, like I pitch and slow pitch. I started wearing a a face mask this year because comebackers are like a scary thing that were not scary when I was 25. Now they are. I can't get my glove up in time. Brain injuries for real is a serious thing, but like, it doesn't always just show like, unless he's like slurring his speech, but if he's not, and it's like memory issues, I don't, I just, I I think it's unfair to be like his teammates would recognize that. Okay, so again, I don't know what all went on, but it could just be as simple as you're talking to him and you realize he's not really following the conversation, right? Now, maybe that is something that you don't think about, 
But if it happens more than once, and then you combine it with the fact that he did have a collision, that's maybe then where you take the next step. Okay. It's impossible to answer. I appreciate this is a, a complex issue. I, I I don't know. All right. Uh, that's That was my topic for the night was Anthony Rizzo and the New York Yankees. So, uh, Jen, let's let's go to you then. What was, what was your topic? Um, it was very, it was very, uh, I just saw it shortly before I came on today. So I don't know enough about what is actually going on, but I believe it was the MLB is investigating the Miami Marlins for, uh, fining players at their Dominican complex. Um, and somehow I, I don't know what they're doing with those fines, but there is going to be some sort of an investigation, into the finding of these players and what was actually done with that money. And so I guess my question is, again, without necessarily knowing what the details are, clearly something is up if MLB isn't feeling the need to investigate. What can be done to, I guess, you know, maybe better protect some of these players who are off-site, you know, in other countries, no one's really got eyes on them or eyes on what's happening with them. Like, how can MLB sort of regulate, I guess, or oversee all of what is happening with these with these different complexes and these different players? So what were the fines for? I haven't heard of this news story. Uh I don't even know what they were for. Like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't find, I found tweets in English, but I couldn't find an article in English. Um, who was it who posted it? Um, and I'm not sure that I can actually find the tweet at the, right now, to be honest. Mike Rodriguez, I think. He tweeted Are, it. Was that who it was? That sounds right. Yeah, he said, attention will be Marlins. I have information that some fines are being abused in the summer league in the Dominican Republic. They're telling the maximum of those fines to not see, exceed $150. But that they put $1,000 fines to one player because he went to the All-Star game with earrings and chains. Okay. And he put $200 fine for someone for ordering pizza outside the complex. They tell me that they are constantly doing that and people involved are speaking out. Okay. So so this is organizations essentially take stealing money from the players? Like unjust fines to I think that's what they're going for, yes. So and this is in the Dominican leagues? What, what... Yeah. They're Dominican uh, complex. Yes. In the Dominican Republic. Because there's, so I think, what, what MLB's can... just got. I don't know what to do about that. Just make an example of Marlins and find their find them a ton, shrink their international bonus pool money by a significant percentage. But like, I don't feel like this is a a cross MLB issue. This feels like an organizational problem. 
Well, I, I, I mean, I don't know because now MLB is involved investigating and, mm. you know, it's specifically the Miami Marlins, whether or, mm. it just seems to me like there is ample opportunity if people wanted to take advantage of these guys that they could be taken advantage of. So, it, okay. So here's, here's what I'm hearing in theory, a, a player gets drafted gets a million dollar signing bonus or whatever the international signing bonus is. They get sent to the, this Dominican complex, high a affiliate, whatever the equivalent is that that is happening. And then the managers are fining t- to get a, a share of that money and they're just pocketing it. Like this is their. That's I think the report is that they're the, the allegation is that they're pocketing the money. Yes. So if I'm a manager and I have a million dollar prospect on my team and I'm I'm just looking for an excuse to to say hey you can't have a mustache that long that's a $5,000 fine and then I just I just have $5,000 now. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean right now sure it sounds like it's just a one organization but I think I bet you it's not just one. Well, that's what I'm saying. And so my, I guess my question is, does what, what is MLB's responsibility in sort of over, or is there a responsibility in overseeing these facilities and, and, you know, making sure that these players are being treated properly? Well, this kind of relates to the whole, like, international draft and the abuse of of like uh the international signing process right it's like it's all yeah it needs to be done better i don't know where where to even begin fixing that um does uh, yeah, like this is ultimately, I think, MLB's responsibility to fix. Like, I wonder if the players are even aware of what the rules are. No, and they might not be. So, like, and that's that's the thing, is if you've got a 17-year-old who's just, like, just trying to play baseball and, and take that next step, you know, keep their head down and not say the wrong thing to the wrong person, there's probably a lot of, like... Uh, things to get taken advantage of but yeah that's on baseball to fix and they definitely should so maybe maybe educating these players on what their rights are within that complex or within that league maybe that's a starting point i don't know yeah that or would be a good starting point um, some sort of player representation union yeah, but then how do you ensure that that's all above board too? I guess like, that's what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, like it is, it's tough it to is enforce. complex. Um, I mean, there's like the international aspect to this. It like complicates things, but it doesn't absolve MLB of some responsibility. Responsibility, like yeah, you know if. If Apple's gonna make iPhones in a international country, they're responsible for the work conditions, even if it's a an American 
corporation. They still have, I don't know, responsibilities. Or do they? I don't know how any of the international laws work. Maybe that's exactly why they're Nike's making their shoes and sweatshops over in China. I, I don't, I don't know. It's complicated, but it's bad PR if MLB doesn't like. If this turns out to be a thing, where ten different teams all have this financial extortion going on of young players, then that's definitely something that needs to be addressed and. Maybe MLBPA needs to protect these guys at the next uh, CBA negotiations. I don't know. I don't know. It's messy. Anything to uh, add, Lewis? Situational enough. I think this will probably be something MLB, you know, keeps under wraps for a pretty long time, you know. It's tough to really get information like that straightened out, especially in international situations like this. So it's just going to be one of those wait and see things. And we, we'll see. It will be interesting to see if players from other teams come forward, right? Like clearly these players somehow came forward, right? Or it somehow came to light. I don't know in what way that happened, but it would be interesting to see if it's a one-off, which I can't imagine that it is. It would be interesting to see if more comes of it. I don't know. But I, I I, do think, you know, if you've got these guys who are essentially playing within an organization, then there has to be some kind of overseeing of that organization. It can't just be trusted to the, the dudes that are there on site. I'm with you. Needs to be resolved. I don't know how they're going to do it. Hopefully uh, they don't drag their feet for 10 years on it. But Hopefully this is just one organizational issue and this isn't a, a rampant issue that needs to be. But I'm almost sure it is. Um, all right, Lewis, what's your topic for today? And we'll get out of here. Um, just on the, Jay, the current Jays bullpen. And Jays for too long. I don't really remember that 2015 team as much, but I just want to know, is this one of the better bullpens that Jays have ever had? I really think it's up there. I mean, I've watched, we've all watched 2020 and 2021 and how the bullpen really sunk us those years. So I just want to hear, is it really up to par with that 2015 team? And you think it's really going to be, you know, it's obviously going to be a key part of whether this team succeeds down the run, but this bullpen is been incredible i feel like a lot of people have been taking that for granted it's elite this is an elite bullpen mm. i guess just how does it compare to 2015 so looking down the list right now at the 2015 pitching roster who do we have in the bullpen then at Liam Hendricks, Aaron Sanchez, Asuna Roberto Asuna, that's Aaron right. Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, Stroman was starting for that's us. Sanchez. Burley was start. Those don't count. Dickey was starting. That doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This bullpen's really freaking good. I don't know. 
Yeah, is that is that is that Bill Wakanda? That's for me. Really yeah, good. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, player or sorry, fans have been, uh, you know, screaming for a couple of seasons about improving the bullpen, right? Like yeah. needing to add guys and and have you know, multiple role players and, you know, guys who can do that closing role and so on and so forth. And I think they, they did it. I think that, I think that is one thing that this front office has done properly this time around is, is, is build that bullpen. Yeah. I think we got to give credit to Atkins just for, you know, it's always been, there's always been high in talent in the bullpen. I mean, that's easy to find out there with, you know, IV lows and, their attention to data now nowadays, but having that depth, like Trevor Richards being the pitcher he is this year is insane. It's something that we haven't seen. I mean, Jared Cabrera and Jay Jackson, these guys are these guys are pitching like legitimate high leverage major league innings for a team that probably didn't even see them as part of did not see them as part of the picture going into the year. So no, there's a and Zach Pop hasn't even pitched with his team at all this year. And he's a guy who's got the stuff to, you know, play in any major league bullpen. I just think we gotta give we gotta give a lot of credit for not only the Atkins and the front office for develop for getting these players, but there's been a lot of work on the developmental side from the new uh, pitching coach hires that have really turned this pitching staff to one of the better ones in uh, in the AL in the AL East. So And they yeah. don't even have guys... to add Chad Green, right? Like I know. We know he will be added, probably. Yeah. Um, but they don't even have to add him for this to be an excellent bullpen. So mm-hmm. hopefully, with the switch to the six-man rotation and all of the starters working on extra rest, hopefully they can all go deeper into games, and then mm-hmm. that translates into the bullpen um, also being able to get a little bit of rest leading up to the postseason. Mm-hmm. My favorite yeah. thing you- that this management team has done has to bookend Alec Manoa with Gossman and Barrios, just from like a bullpen rest standpoint. Like I know, whatever Gossman's still going to have a, a start here or there. Where he only goes five, but chances are he's going to go seven innings. Give our bullpen bit of a day off and then if we need them for a Manoa start hopefully again we don't need them for the burrito start the the day after so I like that how are we feeling about the Cleveland series I'm feeling pretty good about it yeah I I mean you look at that lineup you look at their OPS it's it is not good and Jay, uh, unless he appeals his pending suspension, Jay Ram won't be playing. Yeah. Who do we have pitching for? Is it Kikuchi again? Or... Kikuchi's Kikuchi up. Back to the top. Uh, we got Ryu, Kikuchi, Gossman, Manoa. That's four-game series. Okay. I'm excited to see how Ryu does. Hopefully he should be able to bounce back against the Cleveland line. Yeah, this freaking this thing with this Blue Jays team is like, We'll just lose two out of three to Oakland, you know, and then we'll sweep <laughs> the Astros. And I just, I don't know if we're any good or not. <laughs> so I don't know what yeah. to expect against Cleveland. Like 
we could win three out of four. We could lose all four. I, I have no idea what to expect. Yeah. That's the one thing the Jays are really bad at consistency. Yeah. We play good against good teams, except the Orioles. We play bad against bad teams. I don't know. It's that's mm-hmm. baseball, baby. Um, we all right. the Braves this year. Yeah. Except for the Braves, eh? Ronald Acuna Jr. He's something else, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's get out of here then. Unless you have anything else to add, Lewis. I got nothing. Okay. That's it. We're out of here. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, who hung out in the live chat today. And uh, we made it. We made it to the two-hour mark. So uh, apologies to Lewis for leaving him in the waiting room for half an hour or longer. Uh, Jen, appreciate you. your time today. Lewis, Thanks. nice to see you. Uh, no everybody else, we'll catch you around. And uh, go Jays, go. Thanks for listening to the Walk Off Podcast with Scott Belford and Adam Mack with a new episode every Friday. Oh! with a drive. She's a cracker. Shows to picture. Thanks for listening.